Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. <laughs> Kia ora. welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast and thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host Jordan, I'm a mum of one, soon to be two boys and a lover of all things birth and a very passionate storyteller. The goal of Kiwi Birth Tales is to empower, inform, educate and connect families from New Zealand and all over the world, talking about the things that are so often kept to ourselves or shared with only our nearest and dearest because of this taboo that seems to surround sharing stories about birth. All stories deserve to be heard, no story more important than the other, And with this podcast, you'll get a variety without bias. The podcast is not intended for medical advice. I'm not an advocate for any particular mode of birth or birth care. And this platform is simply here to share these beautiful, empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. So I hope you enjoy. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Sarah. And Sarah shares with us her two pregnancy and birth stories, which were really quite different. Sarah's first birth was... um, quite traumatic and she takes us through what that experience was like and the impact it had on her and her husband and their relationship and yeah just how she was feeling in general and then she talks us through deciding to try for another baby and what her sort of plans were and how she worked through her anxieties during that pregnancy to plan for her birth and then she talks us through a really healing and empowering, beautiful water birth experience. So I just really love this episode and I hope that you get a lot out of it too. So I will let you jump into it and enjoy. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. No worries. I'm very excited to get your birth stories out on the podcast. So would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, so I'm a mum of two now, which seems so strange to say. Um, So Mika is two years and roughly nine months old, um, little girl, and I've just had my little boy, Rome. Um, Yeah, married, working family here in Auckland. Um, My husband runs his own little building business and I run the diamond shop. Yeah. Um, so things are pretty, pretty busy in our <laughs> little family <laughs> and yeah. I think they've just got a whole lot busier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. And we're going to chat a little bit about, um, Mika's pregnancy and birth first. So did you want to take us through falling pregnant with Mika and yeah, how you were feeling sort of in that first trimester once you were pregnant? Yeah. So falling pregnant with her, um, you know, it's it's such a journey, like trying to get pregnant that, mm. you know, you, you don't really know until you're on it. And then you're kind of like, wow, this really, it's really like quite the, quite the task to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, so eventually when I got pregnant with her, um, yeah, it was, it was really smooth sailing. So I, I never got any sort of morning sickness or didn't really have any of the usual pregnancy symptoms or anything like that. Yeah. Um, first 12 weeks just kind of flew by 
um, yeah, and, and it was all smooth sailing until sort of about 30 weeks. So we went on holiday to Bali around the 27-week mark. So that's kind of around when you have your GD test, right, Yeah. Um, from memory. And then so I missed that. So when I came back, my midwife was kind of like, you know, you really need to do your GD test, which I, I kind of laughed off because I was such a gym bunny and I thought, well, I eat really, really well. Like I'm not going to have diabetes. It was one of those stupid, again, like very um, like ignorant, had no idea what how GD actually works. And I thought, oh, I don't have it. But anyway, I'll go and do it. Anyway, it was quite funny when I failed the um, the first <laughs> one-hour test and kind of thought, oh, <laughs> hang on a minute. Um, so then I had to go back and do the second one and failed that as well. So got diagnosed with GD with her at around that 30-week mark. And that was that was a, quite a shock to me being I'm quite a health fanatic. I, you know, I try to eat well and I try mm. to train well. Um, so then it was one of those things where I had to then start pricking my finger numerous times a day and like really watching what I was eating for the last trimester so much of her pregnancy was very much me just trying to get by trying to eat well um trying not to let my sugars get out of control yeah nice diabetes meetings Mm. that kind of thing um going into the clinics but so they they eventually decided that they were going to induce me at 39 um, but my body started sort of niggling itself at about 38 weeks. Um, just, yeah, just niggling. I don't know really how to explain it, but it mm. was just niggling and I could feel that my body was sort of doing its own thing anyway. Yeah. Um, and that went on for the whole week, which was pretty exhausting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was her pregnancy it was pretty smooth sailing until about 30 weeks. Yeah, and then everything changed, and it's um, yeah. it became more of a managed situation. Yeah, and was yeah. she measuring big because of the gestational diabetes? Well, originally she was measuring big, so yeah. they sort of they said, "Oh, yeah, you know, she's she's measuring big," and they were throwing you know numbers out there that I was kind of like, "Wow, really?" Because mm. my brother and I were really small babies; like he was three and a half pounds, and I was about four and a half. Mm-hmm. So um, they were sort of inkling at him at Mika being about nine pounds um and I was like oh wow you know that's yeah a pretty reasonable size baby <laughs> yeah um yeah but then at sort of 37 weeks they were saying oh you know things look like they've slowed down with the growth obviously had the sugars under control as well yeah. um yeah so she actually ended up not being a big baby <laughs> at all <laughs> yeah and so did you plan obviously if you were being induced to go to the hospital for your birth what were your sort of thoughts around how you maybe wanted your birth to go or had you even given it any thought at all yeah I did actually um Mika's my idea of birth when I was pregnant with Mika and before Mika was always that it's a very natural process you know woman yeah. women all around the world are doing it every what every few minutes people yeah. are giving birth yeah. um and we've done it for forever so I was always very much like it's a natural process and I'd like to have a water birth. Um, I was very much considering going up to the Walkworth Birthing Centre before I got diagnosed with GD. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of had planned in my head that it would be a very natural, uninterrupted process and I'd like to use the water. Um, but I hadn't really 
it's not something that I'd sort of focus my energy on too much because I figured if you make a plan too hard, it's when it unravels, it's not, you know, when it doesn't always go to plan. So when I was told that I had to go to the hospital and would likely have an induction, I was okay with that. It didn't rattle me. Um, I just thought, oh, well, you know, that's just going to be part of the process. But I still sort of had a a drug-free in terms of epidural and um, that sort of thing, idea in my mind that I would go in there and let my body do it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which ended up being very very far from (laughs) how it panned out yeah so do you want to take us through um what ended up happening so yeah into your sort of labor and birth story yeah so as I as I sort of touched before I started niggling and things were sort of happening in my body around the 38 week mark um and my midwife had told me to go and try some acupuncture that week too to try and avoid the induction which was on the Friday bang on 39 weeks Um, so I tried that, I tried the, the acupuncture and ended up having my show the night before. So on the Thursday, I ended up having my show and kind of being like, oh, you know, things might be happening, Mm. might avoid it, but nothing happened. And the Friday morning rolled around and we headed into the hospital and they, they put you on all of the machines and everything, I guess, is just a precaution before they start. Mm. And they were picking up the contractions that I was feeling, um, but they weren't, you know, they were obviously more like a Braxton Hicks. They weren't really doing much. So they decided to actually leave me until midday and get me to walk around and see if anything kicked off because they didn't want to overstimulate my uterus. Um, and midday came round, and to be honest, you get quite exhausted. Like once you've once you've got it in your mind, you're going into the induce. You just want to get it going. And I was starting to feel a little bit exhausted by midday being like, you know, come on, can we just get the show on the road kind of thing. Mm. So they decided to use some of the gel and I had the gel put in around 1 p.m. Um, and then off you go, you know, told to go and walk around and have some lunch and stuff. So Dan and I went and enjoyed ourselves, hung around, um, eventually went back to our room with nothing really happening, even like the little contractions that I was having had sort of faded away. So he he was told that we, would, we wouldn't sort of do anything more that evening and that he should go home and get some rest. And I said to the, the lady, you know, is obviously nothing's going to happen then. Like if nothing's happened by now, I'm assuming that that means that it's, you know, it's not going to happen while he's not here. And she said, no, no, that doesn't happen kind of thing. And off he went home. So I had a shower and sort of got myself all ready for bed, if you can, in those Mm. hospital beds and put on some Netflix and was lying in the, in the bed and around sort of 10 PM ish, Dan had texted me saying, you know, I'm home and I'm going to sleep and my phone's on loud sort of see you in the morning. And I got this really, really intense contraction. And I thought, oh, what was that? You know, which mm. funny when you're waiting for labor, I was like going, oh, that was, <laughs> that was painful. Um, and then I had another one and, you know, kind of like ended up getting off the bed being like, that was really uncomfortable. Um, but I must have been in some form of strange denial. I phoned my mum and started having a phone conversation with her and she was like, um, you sound like you're in labor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you start not being able to breathe through and I was having to like pause the conversation and she was like, um, I think you need to let Dan know. <laughs> so anyway, I let Dan know and he sort of 
replied to me <laughs> with a text that was very much like, are you sure? Like I just got in bed. <laughs> um, very like, oh, really? Anyway, so things were definitely happening. So he got in the car and, and came back to the hospital. And I was in the, the induction rooms with, you know, the random midwives because my own midwife wasn't there. So I started sort of feeling quite um, anxious. I felt like things mm. were happening really, really fast. And I didn't know anybody there and nobody sort of introduced themselves to me. Nobody was my support person. Um, they were just kind of like all flapping around and, and not really doing anything. Mm. And I started going into that fear mode of being like, is the baby going to fly out before Dan gets here? Um, I could hear it was a really horrific storm outside too. So I'm like, you know, is he driving safe? Is he going to mm. drive carefully? Is he going to make it? Um, yeah, so lots of things going through my head. And I think this is where her birth really spiral, spiraled out of control was that I felt like I didn't have any control for mm. one and any support. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a really big, big part. So I think immediately I asked them if I could use like the shower or some form of water as pain relief. And they said, no, you can't because you've had an induction, which again, um, I didn't have my voice there and I didn't have mm. anyone advocating for me. So I just kind of shut up and carried on. Yeah. Um, and they handed me the gas, which on my, on my birth plan was one of my sort of last resorts but when you handed it in that zone you just, I pretty much just snatched it off her and mm. <laughs> started using it um and Dan did arrive he arrived as they were sort of checking me and said that I was in active labor and they moved us over to the birth room but I mean we weren't in there very long and I just started saying I want an epidural I want an epidural because it was just there was just so much going on and I mm. had zero control. So they got me the epidural quite quickly and that was, that was fine. That was, you know, comfortable getting once it starts working. It's, it's a relief, so to speak. Um, and that was, that was very, that part was very sort of boring from then on out. I sort mm. of sat there for a couple of hours and then my midwife came in and ruptured the membranes and um yeah it was a waiting game yeah so from there you know that that waiting game again you it's it's weird because you're in labor but you're like am I in labor because you don't mm. feel a lot and then suddenly I started feeling a lot more pain because they had put me on the syntocin drip <laughs> which I wasn't educated on at the time either and yeah. I actually <clears throat> had no idea what they were putting me on um which is interesting now being, you know, especially a second time mum, once you've been through it, you realize the importance of knowledge and mm. having the right and understanding of what's actually being done to you. So looking back, there was so many things that were done without my consent, without my input. Yeah. Um, and ultimately what that did was it spiraled my label with Mika from what I wanted it to be into the polar opposite. So mm. I ended up, pushing with her for almost three hours on my back, um, you know, because I'd had the epidural, but the epidural wasn't really working for me at this point because of the syntocin. I think just the intensity mm. of it and probably like my fear response as well when you tense yeah. up. Um, so yeah, I was, I was in a lot of pain and I was on my back and I was exhausted. 
So mm. trying to push her out, and again, nobody really tells you that it's actually really hard to push a baby out, mm. really, really hard. Yeah. Um, so eventually they, they called in the obstetrician and in, in a short story, she was a Von Toost delivery. So she was Von Toost, um, and I did, I did get a, a tear, not, not too bad, but I did end up with um, a tear internally which they had to stitch up and everything. But I think, you know, mentally just that whole process was so traumatic for me and Mm. so traumatic on our relationship, Mm. my relationship with Dan, because he also wasn't educated. He didn't understand what was going on, um, was probably also feeling very fearful himself. And he sort of shut down and, you know, would like go and sleep in the corner when really I really needed him to be my voice. Mm. So it, it was a massive impact on our relationship. Um, a very, very big impact. I I struggled for probably a year with a lot of um, anger towards him, like mm. just very, very little things. Like when Mika came out, um, you know, he didn't sort of, It's it seems ridiculous now, but, you know, you see it in the movies and, the husband leans over and gives you a kiss and all that kind of stuff. He just kind of stood there like a deer in the headlights. And that, mm. that really, really hurt me because I thought, well, I'm the one that's been through it. Like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think ultimately he was very traumatized and mind blown by the whole process that, you know, there wasn't anyone supporting us and educating us. And mm. that's ultimately where it fell down and it put our relationship in strain and took a long time to move past yeah um it took me a really really long time to get over it as well I had all sorts of flashbacks for Mika's birth when I'd shut my eyes at night to go to sleep um all sorts of feelings Mm. I couldn't I couldn't watch like one born every minute I used to love watching that couldn't for the life of me watch it I couldn't handle the noise of like a woman laboring I couldn't Mm. I couldn't bear the sound because it would bring back so much anxiety for me so yeah it took it took me a long time and it took our relationship a while to heal and understand what went wrong yeah so in terms of yeah the birth my idea of birth Mika's birth really warped that Mm. (laughs) really really warped that and I I wasn't sure that I'd ever actually get past that to be honest because you feel like once you've had an experience like that, how do you, how do you move past it? Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of like the trauma and um, obviously, you know, you suffered this traumatic experience during your birth and, and your husband did too. So was there anything that you did to sort of work through that? And how did you, yeah, I guess, how did you come out the other side of that? Yeah, it was hard um, yeah. at, because at first, I could barely talk about it. It yeah. was one of those things that I literally could barely talk about it. Um, I mean, I, my mum still remembers to this day because she arrived at the hospital not long after I had Mika and she just said, you know, the look on your face, I've just never mm. seen anybody look or me look so, so traumatised. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it did take me a while and I sort of sat with it internalised for a little bit until I said to myself, you know, I've got to get this out. Like I, I have to, mm. I have to get it out. But for me, getting it out wasn't necessarily going down the professional route. I needed to talk to just people that I loved and trusted and yeah. sort of 
I started venting to my friends, which brought out lots of tears, you know, lots Mm. of tears, uncontrollable tears. And they were all really supportive. You know, they just listened to me and, and let me get it out. And I think that's what I needed to do. I just needed to almost unravel it myself Mm. so that I could understand where it went wrong. Um, And then I started addressing it with Dan because it was coming out in our relationship in other ways until eventually it hit the boiling point where I kind of threw it at him. Um, You know, every, every time he did something wrong, it was, well, you know, you didn't support me when I needed Mm. you the most, that kind of thing. Um, And I was using it against him to a point of it boiling over one day and you know we had it had a really big argument and I just completely broke down and Mm. realized that there was actually a lot more to the whole scenario and that I was really really hurt by his lack of support and he obviously like I said was traumatized too so he had his own his own elements to that but that was a turning point for me. And to be honest, it was probably about nine months in. So yeah. it was quite a long time that, you know, we held it held it inside. I held it inside. I just kind of casually would turn off any noises that brought back that anxiety for me and ignored it for a while. But yeah, so it did it did take a while. But once we started talking about it and I started just being honest and saying, look, I am traumatized, mm. which can be hard because, you know, there's some, there's plenty of births out there that are far more traumatic or far more, um, you know, sort of longer and harder mm. and, and, and that sort of thing, you know. So it was, it was a bit, part of me was like, oh, Sarah, you kind of need to get a grip. Like it wasn't that bad in the bigger scheme of things. But then I allowed myself to feel the way I did because I yeah. was traumatized. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is you can, you can have a completely natural intervention free birth and be completely traumatized by 100%. it. Yeah. So that, that's the thing is it's everybody's level of what mm. traumatizes them and what experience they had is different. And yeah. that's what I allowed myself to, to be okay with. I was yeah. okay with that eventually. Yeah. And to this day, I think that was the biggest thing was, Allowing, allowing myself and saying it, it's actually okay to be traumatized by yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, and it's also okay to talk about it. Um, yeah, because it, you also don't want to be the person in the group that only ever talks about birth as, as a bad experience. You know, yeah. I, I really struggle when I'm around people and, and peeps, there's always a pregnant girl and someone, like, oh, you know, how are you feeling about the birth? Blah, blah, blah. This was my experience. Mm. So, I really didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be the person that only had a bad view of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where I, I did actually start doing work in terms of reading positive stories. Yeah. So, you know, things like what you've got on Kiwi Birth Tales and um, just like the internet looking, looking mm. for positive stories. But I think it, it was really healing for me as well. One of my, really good friends Bridie my best friend she last year she had a little girl and she was dead set adamant on her birth she 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 had decided in her head what her birth was going to be and she had even decided you know that she was going to have her baby early she knew Mm. um to the point where she told me that it was going to be dark she knew it was going to be dark when she had her baby which I just found like listening to at the time like completely amazing because Mm. you you know you've literally decided in your head how it's gonna go 
and um what do you know she she had the most amazing amazing birth it was an unplanned home birth so she had planned to go to the hospital sorry not the hospital she planned to go to the birth center um but because she worked so hard on her hypnobirthing and her mindset she was so in control at home that by mm. the time her midwife came to see her basically it was time to have the baby so yeah. she had a really beautiful experience and that that healed me in a way um I remember her phoning me when she had had her baby and I could not I could not stop crying (laughs) even when even when I saw her with the baby I just could not stop crying it was Mm. absolutely like it was almost like something had like left me I think because I was so fearful for her going through an experience and going through the trauma and potentially what I might experience um the fact that she didn't was like such a relief Mm. and it was so reassuring to know that it was actually possible to have a great birth. Mm. Um, Yeah. So I think all of those little things combined definitely healed my, my heart a little bit and restored my faith in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you make like a conscious decision to try for a baby again or what was that process like for you? Yeah, so we we always knew that we wanted sort of a, a two plus year age gap. Yeah. Um. So yeah, when we when we decided to try for Rome, it was all planned. Um. I'm such a planner as well, <laughs> so I'm you know down to the T. Got my ovulation sticks ordered and ready to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So Rome was all planned. Um. Had a couple of sort of miscarriages, chemical pregnancies before we got pregnant with him yeah. which again is you know really tough really hard to go through yeah um and just goes to show the process is it's it's not super super simple is it mm. it's, it's a lot harder than some people realize yeah um yeah so going into his pregnancy in terms of how i felt about the birth i was starting to think to myself you know I, i'm going to have to do some work here mm. like i'm going to really have to work on you know my mindset and what I want to achieve from this birth so yeah that's what I started doing quite early on and started again coming back to like Kiwi birth tales and listening to stories and Mm. looking up stories of second time births and finding the healing ones that Mm. you know might have had a traumatic first first birth that ended with a really healing experience yeah um, and it, sometimes it can be hard to actually believe that is going to happen to you, though. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you read them and you think, oh, it's very easy to go, oh, but that won't be me. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't allow that. So that was something that I was like, no, we're not going to allow that kind of mm. mentality. We're going to go into this and say this is going to work for me. Yeah. So that's that's what I did at the beginning, and that sort of settled my nerves down. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And so when you found out that you were pregnant with Rome, um, how were you feeling? Did you have any different symptoms in that first trimester this time? Yeah, I did. Um, I actually did. It's so funny. <laughs> I I was quite, it was quite different, which, you know, I, I sort of asked a lot of people how they felt and they're like, oh, you mm. can't tell, can't tell gender based on symptoms, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I just knew because I was sick. I wasn't actually throwing up, but I, I just felt really, really sick mm. and couldn't shake that horrible sick feeling. Um, you know, just all sorts of things, dizziness, different cravings, like craving things like muscles, <laughs> um, which I thought was so strange. 
but yeah I just knew I knew because I felt so different yeah 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 awesome and did you decide to go with a midwife for your care this time I did so that was I think again part of my prior to getting pregnant my healing process was coming across Katie Mm-hmm. Um, and her page and sort of just her demeanor and outlook on birth was so nice. And I felt like so relatable with her because she's a similar age to me and, you know, or just all of those things. Yeah, yeah. I had already decided in my mind that she was going to be my person and that was yeah. going to be the person that I trusted. So, yeah, I knew I was going to do a midwife. Even though after Mika's birth, I said, oh, I'm going to go with um, an mm. OB. That was going to be my thing. Um, I actually knew that I needed the care of a midwife. Yeah. And I knew Katie was going to be the, the right person. So I yeah. felt good with that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And were there any concerns about gestational diabetes this time around? Yeah. So we had a few little um, like little hiccups, really. I, I, I went into this pregnancy, again, very, very keen to avoid GD mm. and was trying to eat the right things just to avoid having that problem. I'm not sure if you can even really avoid it no. if it's, um, you know, genetics. But yeah, so I did have a test that I passed. I had a test around 26 weeks, I think, that I passed, which I was yeah. so shocked about. It was almost like surreal when Katie was like, You passed? I was like, What? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started getting just a few of the symptoms that I had with Mika so I started checking my blood sugars from home and and I had a patch where they were quite high so I sorted out my eating again to try and bring them back down and ended up having another GD test which I was again so shocked to pass Mm. you you wonder if it was almost in my head like I was almost um not accepting the fact that I didn't (laughs) have GD yeah so it was it was quite funny I went and did the test a second time and you know that passed it again and was like cool well this is really this is cool this is Mm. you know it's not happening this time so yeah yeah, it was in terms of my health was complication free yeah awesome Mm. and did you find out the sex of your baby this pregnancy we did so we found out with both babies at just over nine weeks we had the nip test yeah um yeah so we knew very very early on the Mm -hmm. genders of both of them because again control freak Sarah has to know <laughs> yeah <laughs> planning yeah, yeah me too <laughs> awesome cool and did you do I know that you've sort of mentioned that you wanted to do some real work around your mindset and maybe hypnobirthing so did you do antenatal classes or other birth education and yeah what did you do there I didn't do any antenatal I did antenatal with Mika but I didn't do anything this time yeah um but it was the work that I did this time was multiple, multiple mm. hypnobirthing courses, um, lots of positive reading, lots and lots of positive affirmations. So if if I felt myself, you know, hearing doubts, like things like, oh, it's not going to happen for you in my own head, mm. I actually stopped and addressed that. And, and actually, it sounds like so crazy having a conversation with yourself, but mm. I made myself understand why I was thinking those thoughts and then I allowed myself to let go of them Um, and that was a really conscious thing that I had to do so it came in my head and I thought why am I why am I thinking this Mm. I need to let go of that bye see you later 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And those were all tools that I learned through these different courses. So, Mm. you know, obviously I did your course. Yeah. I did um, KGH hypnobirthing. That was the one that my friend Bridie had done that she yep. said was really nice. good. Um, but in terms of my plan for this birth, I just, my only plan was that I wanted it to be healing and I wanted it to be calm. Um, and that was, that was the only pressure that I put on myself was that I mentally wanted to be healed, calm and in control. So it didn't have to be, you know, necessarily drug or intervention free because I knew from last time that, you know, those are very big possibilities Mm. for people, but it was more about me being in control and making informed choices and knowing what was going on. Mm. Um, And that was something that the hypnobirthing just really informed me. I feel like it's, you know, you've got that education side where you educate the, the actual physiological part of giving birth which Mm. is really important and then you've also got the other side where it's managing your mind control and feeding your mind the right messages to get you through so I I found those courses just so vital and I feel like everybody should do them I you know regardless of whether you're giving birth or anything I just feel like it gives you great tools to manage certain situations that Mm. I feel like I'll always use for the rest of my life Um, and I read some really great stories on you know c-section births c-section hypnobirthing which was they sound amazing Mm. so calming and nice so yeah I did I did so much work and it was more just listening to podcasts and affirmations and YouTube and yeah yeah, that was that was it yeah Mm -hmm. awesome Cool. And so what was your plan around like what you wanted your birth to look like and where did you want it to be? And yeah, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, I I always, always said hospital Um, just because again, Mika's birth, I I felt like I needed to be somewhere where, Mm. you know, there was all those sorts of different medical experts and things, but yeah. Yeah, I, I did resort back to my, the idea of the water with, with Rome. Um, I always wanted to try it. it. was always, a water birth was always in the back of my mind for a long, long time. It just seemed so calming and nice to, you know, be in water. I'm very much a, a bath kind of girl or a spa mm. kind of girl. So, yeah, I, I wanted to try the water and I just didn't really want to put – any other pressure on it to be honest yeah yeah. it was yeah you know Katie would ask me what I wanted and what I didn't want and I ended up writing a very basic birth plan which I communicated with Dan this time I made sure that you know I made it very clear Mm. actually what I needed from him so that he could understand what that was going to be but yeah ultimately my 
plan was to try the water and that I really just wanted to be in control and calm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And did you do anything else in preparation for birth, like perennial massage or antenatal expressing or anything like that? No, I actually didn't. I didn't yeah. end up doing that. I did. Um, I busted out the the birthing ball at around 33 weeks <laughs> and started, you know, sitting on that every night, which I found really nice listening to the hypnobirthing. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I found a bit of a focus while I was on the ball and knew the ball would probably be a part of my labor, early labor. Yeah. Um, so I started sort of grounding myself in that scenario using that tool. Mm. Um, and I also started eating dates because that was what Bridie told me that she did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started eating dates. I think it was like four dates a day or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the other stuff, no, I just just kind of stayed active and stayed focused and stayed calm, which yeah. is in my personality, I'm quite a highly strung person and I'm kind of going here, there and everywhere. Yeah. I just tried to stay more relaxed and in tune with my body this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And do you want to take us through your labor starting? Was it spontaneous and how far along were you? And then into your birth story. Yeah. So I was 37 weeks and six days um, when my waters broke at work, which <laughs> is a b- bit of a joke really because we, we've always joked with the team that, you know, I'll be out the back and I'll probably give birth and be like, <laughs> here, catch, catch my baby so and yeah. sell some more diamonds. Um, we were always joking about that. And I'd sort of spent the last week prior to my waters breaking feeling very much like my body was doing stuff and I didn't mm. want to go far from home. Um, so I hadn't been into the shop much. And this was one day that I went in and I thought, I've got to get stuff tied up, which I should have known. Um, I had some loose ends that I wanted to tie up. So I went in and was there way longer than I wanted to be way longer than I expected to be ended up having lunch with the girls um and then I sort of stood up and said right I really do need to go now like I need to go home and as we were chatting and saying bye and gathering all my stuff um I just felt this like gush and I thought oh and then it just (laughs) it just kept coming like I must have had so much water it was just pouring out of me and everybody's face changed (laughs) um luckily none of the the men were at work so it was only us ladies which was nice because I feel like they would have probably had a heart attack um but I was also like in that moment felt a little bit of panic because I was at work I wasn't in my space I felt very like instantly like ah I need to be in my space I'm Mm. in the wrong place so I literally just gathered all my stuff and I called Katie and um, she must have known because she just answered the phone and said, what's happening? Mm. <laughs> um, and I told her and she just said, look, go home. So I got in my car and um, the whole drive home, I, I actually had to turn on my hypnobirthing just to to bring myself back down because I had found not being in my comfort zone, it had pushed me up and I felt my anxiety yeah. come back in. Yeah. So I put my hypnobirthing on and I just thought, going to drive home. It's going to be okay. You know, my contractions aren't going to start coming thick and fast while I'm in the car. <laughs> Please don't. Because I do live about 45 minutes from the shop as well. So it's not yeah. really a, um, a quick drive. 
so I made it home and um, got out the car and had another massive gush of water going everywhere. <laughs> Hopefully none of my neighbours were standing outside. Um, and came inside and had a shower and, you know, put on my lovely nappy, as you do. And that was it. I put my hypnobirthing on and just sort of hunkered down in my lounge, set up my space, dimmed, you know, dimmed all the lights, dimmed the blinds, and just started relaxing and just letting myself come back down from that whole palaver. Mm. Um, and Dan came home and it was, it was nice. Like we knew our baby was coming. It was exciting. Um, I knew that my mum had Mika and that she was safe and she was happy and, um, yeah, it was really nice. So Dan and I just spent the evening just chilling out, had a nice dinner, um, and then decided to go to bed and hadn't really, you know, there wasn't really anything happening. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to get some sleep because we know that there's going to be a baby Mm. at some point. So, we went to bed early, um, and luckily Dan had a really, really full night's sleep, which was nice for him. I woke up sort of around three thirty, four a.m., just feeling just a bit niggly, just you know, mm. a little bit period crampy, but not like to the point where I was like, "Yay, this is going to happen." I was just kind of like, ah, you know. So I went and sat in the lounge and just watched, started watching a couple of movies and bouncing on my ball, and then. Just, yeah, lots of, lots of relaxing and bringing myself down, grounding. That was, that was what I found really, really nice was just yeah. having some space. And then Katie contacted me in the morning when I said to her, look, I think, I think things are happening, but nothing's, you know, nothing's wild yet. Mm. Like I'm not like in pain. Um, and she decided to come around around 9am and just check on me and just sort of, you know, see what was going on. So she came round and she checked me. And one of the biggest suspicions that we had all had, which I don't think was a suspicion, it was pretty obvious. He was very posterior. Mm. So he was in a very odd position. Um, and I could feel he was in a very odd position. So Katie decided that while I was contracting that she was going to do something called a side lying release. I think I've said that right. Yeah. Um, where she she had me on, on my bed on my side and she did sort of put pressure on my hip area and made me move my legs um, kind of hanging off the bed while I was having contractions, which she said it opens up the pelvic brim and would allow him to turn, hopefully, mm. in an ideal world into a better position. So we did that on both sides, which at the time I was cursing, cursing for Katie for because you started to have starting to have contractions, and then somebody wants you to lie dead still while they lean mm, on yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you just actually want to get up and and be upright. So yeah, she 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 said, "I promise it'll be worth it." It's like okay, okay. So we got through that, um, and then once we had done that, she sort of said to me, "Look, um, I was two centimeters." She said you're fully effaced, two centimetres. And she just looked at me and said, I think it's going to go fast. What would you like to do? Do Mm. you want to stay at home or do you want to go? And I just, I mean, it's such a hard choice because when you, I wasn't actually like really what I would consider labouring at that point either. I was just sort of niggling away. Uh, I said to her, I want to go. I just listened to my gut and I said, I want to go. Let's go to hospital. So, She went, she got in her car and Dan sort of packed our car up and we were out of the house by 9.30ish and went on the 40, 45-minute drive to the hospital. But 
basically as soon as I got in the car and had a contraction, I felt things change. I was, I wasn't sure whether it was because I was sitting in a car and I couldn't, you know, you can't move. You you just Mm want to move. Um, but I knew that things were ramping up when we were in the car and basically I put my hypnobirthing on at that point. I put my AirPods in, which everybody's asked me about. <laughs> they were firmly on, on display in the videos. Um, yeah, I put them in and that was where I started to get into my zone. So in the car I was starting to get very uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and really, really having to focus through the contractions and using my hypnobirthing and for me what I focused in on in the hypnobirthing and something that resonated really really strongly for me was that all I had to do was breathe yeah so that was my only job so I just had to let my body do the work yeah and I just had to breathe so that was what I was repeating to myself in the car was just all you have to do is breathe so I was breathing through my contractions and it took, it felt like it took forever to get mm. to the hospital, as you can imagine. But, you know, you're sitting there thinking, if I lose it, then it's going to hurt more. So you just have to remember to just stay calm. Yeah. So we, we got to the hospital and, of course, there was a huge line out the front of people being screened for COVID because you've got to be screened oh. before you can go inside. <laughs> yeah. And I I knew in the car that, my labor was progressing fast because I could feel him moving down. Um, and I didn't want to say anything to Dan because I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want him to freak out. Um, I just thought I just need to get to the hospital. We just need to get there. So when we pulled up out the front and I'm like sort of looking around going, please don't tell me I have to stand in that line because I just don't know what I'm going to do. So Dan got me out the car and I had my AirPods in and everything. So I wasn't talking to anybody. I was just in, in the zone. But very aware of what was going on, um, just but just in my own zone. Mm. Good old Dan. He just he literally just walked straight up the front of the line. He just he just walked through the door and he just said, "Look, I'm sorry, but we're not standing in that line. We can't." Um, and the lady was actually quite rude to him, and he said, "My wife is about to have a baby. You need to let us through the door." Mm. <laughs> um, which I was really proud of him because again, yeah. he, he was. He was my he was my rock. He was advocating for me. I didn't have to worry. I knew that he was going to get me up to the birthing suite, yeah. and I just stayed calm. Um, and that was a real a, a big moment from what mm. we had been through for him to step up and say, "Look, you're letting me in," mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that we were going to be let in. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the lady did kind of clock on pretty quickly and flagged down somebody to come and screen us very very quickly, and they put a yeah. bracelet on and off we went. So um, we walked up to the birthing suite and got inside, and again it was just it was just all very calm. I, I contracted a few times on the way up, and I just sort of stopped and breathed and just listened to my hypnobirthing. Mm. And we got in the room, and it was. It was really nice. I basically put my jumper on the ledge, like literally right at the doorway, and that was my grounding spot. And I held on to the ledge and I kind of stayed there. So we must have got to the hospital about quarter past ten at this point, about ten fifteen, and yeah. I could hear them running the the pool for me. I knew Katie was there because I'd seen her, and I saw Alicia walk in. She's Katie's really really nice student midwife, birthing mm-hmm. birthing mama on Instagram. Um, she's really lovely. I saw her there and it was, it was so nice that everyone was calm. 
Mm. They let, they left me alone. You know, nobody was touching me or interfering with me. They just left me alone on my little ledge, which I was holding on to. Um, and they did what they needed to do. And the next minute, you know, sort of Dan was taking off my shoes, which again was so nice for me because he, he just took control. He just, he took my, my clothes off basically for me and yeah. <clears throat> walked me over to the pool where the girls had put like the most beautiful fairy lights and, you know, cause I was, I was still very, very present, but I was just very calm and very mm. much like in another mind space. But I, I saw all the lights and I saw all these phones. So mm. Dan had set his phone up recording on one angle and Katie had her phone recording <laughs> on another angle. And Alicia was taking photos because that was one of the biggest things with Nika's birth that absolutely devastated me is that I had absolutely no photos. Yeah. I had one photo of her and I after she was born um, where I look very, very sad. So it's a bit of a mm. traumatic photo for me. Um, so one of my biggest things was please get photos. Um, so yeah, I remember at the time thinking, oh, well, they've got that message <laughs> <laughs> and they got the message about the beautiful fairy lights and, I kind of was just like, wow, like here I am, I'm getting in the water, like mm. I'm getting a chance to try the water. And it was immediate. I got in the water and I just felt so, so relaxed. Like it is true what they say, that the water just brings over just another element of relaxation. And I felt yeah. a weight lifted. I felt the pains sort of change. Um, but I also, like I said before, I knew he was fairly close because I could feel it. Um, and I must have been in the pool. I think I got in the pool about about 20 to 11, so about yep. 10.40 I got in the pool. And by 10.45, I, um, I I knew that he was, yeah, he was right there. I was kind of like, okay, wow, this is really, yeah. really happening. It's really yeah. happening. Stay calm. <laughs> um, yeah, and then basically my contractions went from – it's funny I don't know how to explain it I remember reading so many times and hearing in the hypnobirthing how you'll feel the change from a contraction mm. to your body actually starts to bear down for you um, and I hadn't I hadn't been checked or anything at this point so it was completely hands-off mm -hmm. hands-off um, process and Katie I just remember turning to Katie and just saying I'm I'm pushing like it's happening and she was mm -hmm. like she just said, just listen to your body. And I did. And yeah, my whole body was just bearing down and it was quite amazing, like quite an amazing mm. feeling. Like obviously, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it pain. I would call it powerful. It was, it was a really, really powerful feeling that I'm so grateful that I got to experience. Yeah. And I, yeah, he, he made a pretty, pretty rapid descent and I could feel him moving down and, Basically, out he came. Yeah. Um, I think it took sort of all of about two minutes from him being non-visible to being in my arms. Yeah, wow. Um, which was very, very different from my experience with Mika. It was, it was all literally all my body's work. I, I don't. I just did exactly what I said, and I just breathed through it, and my body just pushed him out. It was yeah. quite incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he did come out with his cord three times around his neck. So mm -hmm. um, there was a moment where I think Katie's, you, you know, she kind of, 
shifted slightly because she she wants she needed to get him out yeah. so you know she his body being born kind of thing was pretty fast mm. and she was pretty quickly getting the cord from around his neck which I think you can see partially in my videos yeah um and that was fine and I, I got to sit back on the, the seat and it was a moment like he came out and she was holding him and she said sit sit up on the seat um so I can put him on you and I'm like or I just kept going, oh, my God, I did it. Oh, my God, I did it. <laughs> and it was really funny because I sat back on the seat and Dan was completely opposite me and opposite the bath. And she, Katie put him on me. And I, I'd i had a dream when I was about 20 weeks pregnant of this vision um, of that exact moment mm. saying, oh, my God, I did it and holding him and seeing Dan in front of me. And I was just like sitting there going, oh my God, like this, I, I, I've seen this. Like I mm -hmm. literally, literally had seen it in my head before yeah. it happened. Yeah. Um, and it was such a moment. Unfortunately, um, little Rome wasn't responding. So they did have to cut the cord pretty, pretty instantly after that moment. So yeah. I, I got a second with him um, and then they cut it and he was being resussed. Um, but Again, I was calm. I knew he was okay because mm. I knew Katie was there and I knew she was looking after him. And I had um, Alicia stay with me while I was still in the pool and Dan and Katie went off with Rome. Yeah. Um, and Alicia was great. You know, again, she was just really, really good. They just let me be for a minute and um, Katie came back and <laughs> it's a <laughs> bit of a running joke now because she said, oh, do you want to get out? I said, not really, because I didn't get very long to have my moment in the water. <laughs> yeah. I was quite enjoying myself. And she, so she said, well, let's get you out your placenta bath now. <laughs> <laughs> we keep joking about my placenta bath. But yeah. so, yeah, I was, I was so relaxed that, you know, I didn't even want to jump out. I just kind of wanted a minute to soak it all in and be like, wow, that really just happened. Yeah. Um, yeah so the girls got me out and, um, you know, birth the placenta and everything, which was fine. And I could see Rome on the recess table just near me. So, yeah, um, I got him after about 20 minutes. I got him and we had skin to skin for an hour. And I had a beautiful cup of Milo and some toast. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how um, food and, like, the simple basics are after something like that. Yeah. Like, it's just so funny how you're so like, oh, that's a really nice cup of Milo. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I sat there for an hour and then Dan had skin to skin with him while I had a shower and got myself ready. And I knew that I didn't want to be at the hospital for long. So it was always a plan if everything was okay to kind of get in and get out. Yeah. Um, which I also at the time was always thinking, oh, you know, that it'd be the dream to kind of get <laughs> in and get out, but let's, let's be realistic. Yeah. Um, but we really did. We got in and we got out. So Rome was born at 11 a.m. Um, and as I joke with Katie, I was basically back home for lunch, I think, just, <laughs> af just after 1, just, yeah, yeah 1.32-ish. 1 we were back home. Um, yeah. And it couldn't have been further from healing and I, I, can't, I can't even put it into words yeah. what – what that process did for us and what, yeah. you know, the girls did for us, Katie and Alicia um, and Dan, you know, he was, he was my rock and he was exactly what I needed him to mm. be. And the whole, the whole thing healed so many parts of me 
yeah. and grew me so much that I just I don't actually think I've quite um I haven't had a big cry yet but I can yeah. feel it I can feel it <laughs> happening yeah <laughs> I feel like it's lingering yeah um but it's just yeah oh, I'm I'm so grateful I'm so grateful that I've now can be one of those women that can advocate for all mm. the other women and say you can do it. Yeah. Um, and that was something Bridie, Bridie was always, my friend Bridie was always saying to me, she's like, you're going to be amazing. And that's at the time was a little bit hard to believe because it was mm. like, oh, what I've been through. But now I can be that person that can look at everyone else and say, you know, it's going to be, you're going to do really well regardless yeah. of how you birth. Like this yeah. is going to be amazing. Um, yeah. yeah so it's it really changed everything for me yeah. and um yeah power to power to the girls is what I can say <laughs> oh it's so nice to hear like yeah it's just so nice to hear the t- total difference in your birth stories and like the way that you feel about your birth and yeah I just think it's really it is beautiful to hear such a healing um experience that you needed and I'm sure Dan needed and like yeah just makes such a difference for your family yeah we definitely our relationship definitely needed it it was pretty um yeah it was crucial yeah yeah pretty amazing and what about like I I know Rome's only super new but Mm -hmm. um in terms of how your mental health has been and like just how you feel as a mum in general how has that been different so far this time around in comparison to processing like a really traumatic experience? Yeah. Um, with, with Mika, it was obviously, you know, very different. It's also, I think, first time mum. Oh, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> so much going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did. I felt, I never, I was very lucky in the sense that I never suffered um, immensely with Mika, mm. but um I suffered more with what had happened to me, but yeah, this time I just feel, I feel empowered. I feel relaxed. Um, yeah. you know, I know what I'm doing as a mum. Um, I think he, you know, poor old Mika, I'm sure there was times where she was freezing cold and I couldn't understand what was going <laughs> on. And, you yeah. know, whereas this time I feel like I kind of have a good gauge on when he's yeah. fed properly and, when he's full and my mental health, I think just from the whole process is, is healed. I'm, I'm on a high basically. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a high <laughs> for yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, when you've just had a baby, your emotions and um, hormones, I mean, you can imagine what your body goes through and then yeah, suddenly sure. it's all gone. So, you know, definitely feel exhausted and, you know, got sore boobs and mm. all of those good things. But I think, <laughs> the second time round, um, lapping it up more because yeah. I know that it's short. I know that it's short lived and that mm. when it's gone, it's gone. And, um, yeah, I think just taking care of me is what's key. Yeah. Just doing what my body wants to do and allowing myself to have a cry or yeah. feel good either or yeah, it's okay too. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories with us. I've really loved talking to you. And I think there'll be so many people out there who either resonate with your story or find it really inspiring um, and hopefully helps them to feel really positive about their next birth experience. So yeah, I'm just really grateful that you're willing to come on and share with me. Thank you. 
Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be able to talk about it and to have one of those stories that, like I said, you know, you can do it. You can have it. Yeah. Um, You you absolutely can. So that's that's the key message, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Thanks so much, babe. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it and I look forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.